0: Heads up, the following podcast contains adult language and deals with adult subjects. Keep this in mind as you listen. On with the show.
1: Hey, folks, I'm Grace.
0: And I'm James. Welcome to Fundamental Shift, the podcast where we explore the major shakeups in our lives, their fault lines, and aftershocks.
1: Thanks for joining us. You're in for a real shift show. Hey, James. Let's set the scene.
0: Elton John's Candle in the Wind remaster was the Billboard chart's number one hit.
1: Rose's heart went on after Jack drowned, because despite having shagged in the back of a very small car, they just couldn't both fit on a large door-sized piece of wood floating in the ocean in the blockbuster (laughs) hit Titanic.
0: A computer beat the human world chess champion, and the Green Bay Packers took home the Super Bowl trophy.
1: As popular as ever today, Harry Potter and Pokemon made their first debut.
0: We lost Princess Di in a tragic car accident, and the Saint Mother Teresa.
1: Madeleine Albright became the first female Secretary of State, and though he'd been impeached for the Lewinsky affair, President Bill Clinton won a second term.
0: If you haven't guessed it yet, the year was 1997.
1: In James, we were the class of 1990
0: we're Xennials, the micro-generation between Gen Xers and Millennials. We had an analog childhood and have a digital adulthood. When we graduated, you still had to use the computer lab to play this knockoff of Atari's breakout called Jezball. Our class was obsessed, all 12 of us.
1: Friends, I am still jezzin' after all these years with an app on my phone. It's the only thing from high school I brought along with me in these 23 years— Except for you, of course, my co-host and friend, James.
0: Yep. We haven't been in touch that entire time. Uh, Like many, we reconnected on social media.
1: We had the shared experience of fundamental religious systems ruling our formative years in southern states. We found we were now sharing the experience of shifting away from that paradigm and toward the alternative lifestyles and lies from the pit of hell we were told would damn us.
0: We know each other well in some ways, and we're getting to know each other all over again in others.
1: And we invite you guys to come along and join us as we take a look at all kinds of fundamental shifts from all kinds of walks of life. And we hope you'll build this community along with us, sharing your own stories and engaging with others and theirs. So James, let's start by just giving us a snapshot of the environment you were raised in and what your family life was like growing up.
0: I came up in the southern U.S., mostly Virginia, in the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, Southern Baptists have a pretty strict literal reading of the Bible, which includes the six-day creation, Adam and Eve, miracles, resurrection, torture, revenge, true love, Of course, we all knew that true love waits. Yes. Uh, It was a very traditional heteronormative environment, Uh, conventional gender roles, gender expression, man as the head of the household, stuff like that. But my house was actually very egalitarian and even skewed matriarchal, which honestly is in keeping with the families both of my parents came up in, which had very strong mother figures
1: at the center. So you attended public schools in your formative years, and then you were homeschooling for middle school grades. What was the transition like from public to homeschooling?
0: The entire rhythm of our family life changed. I went from having a separate, structured space to learn and be with friends and educators on a well-regulated schedule to being with my family all the time. It wasn't bad. I could complete my work at my own pace and schedule my activities around my favorite shows on our local UHF station, which I think at the time were Brady Brunch reruns and this show called Okavango about a white American family who inherited an animal sanctuary somewhere in Africa. Because back then it was all one big Africa. That's what we thought. Uh, It was Botswana, actually, but I didn't know that then. My dad traveled... I think, a five-state territory and for his work. And my parents bought a fancy conversion van so we could take our classes on the road and visit historical and cultural sites like battlefields and museums while my dad was visiting clients and whatnot. Uh, sometimes we would take a day off and go to Busch Gardens, which is a theme park in Williamsburg that I still love. Uh, it was very outside the box in many ways compared to the public school experience. We used a very fundamentalist Christian curriculum. Uh, We did the Pensacola Christian School Correspondence Courses from the people who brought you Pensacola Christian College. Uh, They used the Abeka Curriculum, which was very much into creationism and revisionist history. Uh, The history courses were heavily focused on church history and were extremely anti-Catholic, at the same time, they were portraying manifest destiny in a very positive light, like, look how much God has blessed America. So, there was nothing about the genocide of indigenous people. I don't remember learning anything about the evils of slavery from these courses. Uh, thankfully, we had uh, some supplemental education at home through things like watching the original uh, Roots miniseries, which is amazing and timeless, and I recommend it to everyone who hasn't seen it. Of course, At the time, I wasn't really conscious of what I was learning and its biases. I thought I was learning history and science. I thought, oh, okay, the Earth really is less than 10,000 years old, and maybe Noah just couldn't fit any dinosaurs on the ark. I will say that, at least in my memory, my parents did really well with the transition to having us at home all the time. I don't remember there being any domestic tension, and my brother and I were good at getting our work done. I missed my friends from 6th grade and actually talked to a few of them on the phone when I first started homeschooling, but my best friend in 6th grade was actually super racist against black people, so it was good to get away from that influence, and there was supposedly a lot of racial tension at the middle school that I think was part of the reason we ended up homeschooling to begin with, and honestly... It was good to be kept from that also because I wasn't ready at that time in my life to wrestle with the forces of racism, and I could see myself being easily recruited into a more white supremacist crowd, even if it was only out of a misguided survival instinct. So it had its pros and cons.
1: That's a huge um, and, I think, brave admission. I think that it would be hard for a lot of people to say that, and I just really appreciate that, and I'm... Uh, glad you were spared that crowd. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. So for your high school and college years, you had another educational transition now to private Christian education. Tell us about how you process that change.
0: So after two years of homeschooling, we decided it was time for me to go back into a more traditional educational structure. I know for me, I had become sort of socially restless, a sort of cabin fever where I missed having contact with other kids throughout the week and not just at church. We had been members of a local homeschool association where I I met other kids here and there, but those weren't regular enough for me to really have any friends from homeschool. I had one friend at church who was going to a place called Atlantic Shores Christian School, We used to hang out a lot at his house and play a lot of Joe Montana sports talk football and Sega Genesis and have overnights. And my family decided it would be good for me to go to school with him. So I started Christian school there the fall of 1993. And I realized that my social growth was severely stunted and I didn't know how to relate to other kids my age anymore. Um, I was so nervous and shy and I would wonder... For example, if a girl liked me because she accidentally touched me or made eye contact. Uh, I had crushes, so many crushes, and no idea what to do with them. I was 14, which is an awkward age to begin with, and adding a complete change of social environment to that was a bit earth-shattering for me. Uh, I played football because my friend from church did, and I stuck with it for two seasons, mostly out of peer pressure, I think. Our coach talked me into staying when I tried to quit during that second season. It was probably good for me to get a workout, but overall, didn't love it. My brother was actually the equipment manager that second year when he started going to the school, and the other players treated him like garbage, and I feel really bad that I didn't do more to advocate for him in that time. Um, and I also realized my friend from church was a bit of a troublemaker and hung out with the bullies. And I think I understood at some point that the adults in our lives wanted us to hang out together in hopes that I could be a good influence. I wasn't ready for that responsibility, to be a 14-year-old mentor. So I ended up gravitating more toward the geeky, nerdy, goofy underdog crowd. Um, I made some friends then that I still know today, at least in a casual social media way. Uh, One of them, in fact, has been really great about reaching out Uh, to me during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, sharing news stories about my old college, extending well wishes for me and my family during this weird time. So the summer of 95, after 10th grade, I was practicing driving around town, hoping to get my driver's license. I was 15, uh, and 10 days before I turned 16, my family packed up and moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, which meant I would not be getting my license, and... Once again, I had to adapt to a new environment. Calvary Christian School is where I ended up, where I met you, as you know, and where we finished high school together. Of course, so much of our education was wrapped up in Christian Baptist fundamentalism. I don't know that I ever entirely bought into everything we were taught, but I was able to put up with a lot of it, probably because, although I didn't realize it at the time, I was, I still am, I guess, a beneficiary of the white, male, cisgender, heteronormative, fundamentalist, patriarchal social structure. And none of these weird teachings affected me in an overwhelmingly negative way, for the most part. Uh, I got involved in activities. I started a band with one of my best friends, Bobby. And although my senior year was a living hell, thanks to our principal... I made it through and ended up talking Bobby into going to college with me.
1: So moving into young adulthood, you started experiencing what we might think of as the underbelly of fundamental Christian practices. On the outside, it looks nice, and then you start to experience some of those inner workings and it doesn't look so nice after all. Uh, from that, you you moved out and you started experiencing the real world apart from that bubble. Can you tell me what uh, that time was like as the bubble was really kind of bursting in your life?
0: I think in some sense, that underbelly had been showing itself in small ways for a long time. And it began to snowball as I went into college and began that phase of my life. I went to Liberty University, which a few of you may have heard of and spent time there as a student and on staff. Thankfully, not during a pandemic. At the beginning, I was excited to go there. My family loved Jerry Falwell and his big, booming personality, and I was looking forward to the college experience with Bobby, continuing our band, making new friends together. There were some key moments, though, that made it more and more difficult for me to accept the way things were. I mostly fit in at Liberty, and I went along with the crowd on things, but the attitudes toward LGBTQ folks became intolerable for me. I actually had a class that was required for my major, in which the professor required us to investigate and uncover the, quote, gay and lesbian underground at Liberty University. I refused to do it. It just seemed wrong to me, even though... At the time, I was not an LGBTQ-affirming Christian. Another moment was after 9-11, when Falwell went on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson, and he blamed the liberals, feminists, gays, and lesbians for the terrorist attacks. That, to me, was a bridge too far. Of course, liberty also had the things you might expect from a preeminent conservative Christian school— um, creationism taught as science by a man in a lab coat. Revisionist American history, such as slaves were treated well and the Civil War was primarily a theological battle.
1: I have a cousin that believes that's good times.
0: Yeah, yeah, fun stuff. There was also a required evangelism class taught by an over caffeinated preacher with his own catchphrase Jesus is awesome! Uh, There were non optional chapel services, of course, Uh, an arbitrary code of conduct called the Liberty Way, sarcastic theology professors who made snide jokes about other theologies, and people getting married in their late teens and early 20s. By the time I was on staff after I finished my degree, I was still a believer, but I was absolutely miserable. In the admissions and recruitment office where I spent one year, uh, we fooled a lot of unsuspecting high schoolers into applying for admission over the phone. The leadership came up with the bright idea to waive SAT, ACT requirements in order to get more people in and even toyed with the idea of sending prospective students lottery style scratch off tickets to see what scholarship they could win. And I was targeted by my boss for firing so he could get a bonus for letting someone go. So I escaped to the registrar's office where, as an academic evaluator, I was severely overworked, severely underpaid. I think I made about 20000 a year um, and eventually got fired soon after I botched an April Fool's joke. I was on staff there for two years total, so a year in admissions, a year in the registrar's office, and I had planned to leave a few months later, but... Rather than leaving on my own terms, I was sort of forced out of the liberty bubble when I got fired.
1: Well, once you left that liberty bubble, uh, there's a particular experience that highlighted this upcoming time in your life. And I cannot wait to hear about what it was like living in a van on the road with a group of secular Jewish artists.
0: This really is where things took a major turn for me. I had been a fan of New York singer-songwriter Ari Hest for a few years, and in 2004, he signed with Columbia Records. Uh, I went to one of his first shows after he signed with them. I congratulated him. I let him know that I was interested in coming on board if he needed extra help on the road, tuning guitars, loading and unloading, stage setup, etc. This is while I was still on staff at Liberty University and a few months after I was fired, Ari's album came out, and he uh, emailed me and asked if I was still up for going out on the road. At the time, I was staying with my parents, working at Guitar Center for minimum wage, so obviously I said yes. I made the career transition to assistant tour manager. And suddenly, I was all the way out of the bubble, traveling the U.S., A conservative Christian living in a van with a group of secular Jews. And the early days were a mix of excitement and terror. I was very self-conscious about my background and identity, especially having been warned about the evil liberals who were out to destroy my religious conservative values. I was resistant to share much about myself at first. But when I opened up, and they opened up, I learned things. I realized that my deeply held convictions were keeping me ignorant to the struggles of people whose lives were not nearly as easy as mine had been. I found out, surprise, godless liberals weren't out to get me as I had been warned. They were real people whose values were shaped by compassion, free from dogma. People who wanted to do the right thing regardless of whether God was watching. I was forced to reckon with my values, beliefs, and pre-programmed notions and reconcile with reality as I now knew it.
1: So as you reckoned with that reality and with your privilege and your past, can you tell us what that fundamental shift was really like? Not only what you were thinking about these things, but how did you feel about it?
0: It feels like a gradual wake up to the fact that you've been raised in a simulation as someone who came up in an environment where i was surrounded by devout people many of whom were single issue voters thanks to politically active baptist churches who harped on the abortion issue perhaps more than any other i realized i realized i was being used by religious and political powers as part of a voting block to support the continuance of the status quo, in which the pro-life candidate never ended abortion, their lack of support for social programs that would reduce teen pregnancy and bring the number of abortions closer to zero actually made abortion less safe and more likely. I also came to understand that my pre-programmed homophobia was founded on disinformation and prejudice and people were suffering and dying because of it. I knew I needed to change, and I was definitely undergoing some shifts, but religious programming is strong, and I was afraid of losing my foundation if I gave up everything I knew. To add another layer to this process, nine months after landing this national touring gig, I was let go due to a lack of funds, and after moving back in for a while with my parents, I landed a job back in Lynchburg. So I was thrown back into the bubble, this time with new perspective, still trying to reconcile my programmed beliefs with reality while returning to familiar patterns like regular church and small group attendance, hanging out with Liberty people, even dating a student for a while.
1: So this just kind of, I'll date myself a bit here and say reminds me of the Matrix and this whole (laughs) sort of red pill, blue pill thing. And for you, people still know the matrix. (laughs) People still know the matrix. And for you, it was kind of almost a switching back and forth where you'd, you know, taken the blue pill, but now you had to go back to the red pill for a minute. So as you return back to that old paradigm, that old sort of simulation with this evolving new paradigm where you knew the machines were in control. How was this season in your life? How did that bring about the evolution of you coming to this final resolve? Like what pushed you towards that point of no return?
0: While I was back in Lynchburg, I spent about five years working in a call center for an upscale haberdasher. Eventually, I became tired of catering to the whims and demands of wealthy American consumerism. And sometime before that, I had left the church community I was in after a mutual breakup with the person I was dating, and I had become sort of isolated. So in that time, at that point, I applied to AmeriCorps, which is a national civil service program, sort of a domestic version of the Peace Corps. Through AmeriCorps, I was matched with an organization called Catholic Volunteers in Florida. I relocated to Florida, and through this Catholic organization, spent one year serving families uh, as a social worker with the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. I found community again with my fellow AmeriCorps volunteers in the Catholic Volunteer program. I embraced living simply and a more contemplative mindset. And in the second half of the year... I met my eventual wife, uh, a liberal bisexual feminist librarian from Chicago who came up in a non-religious family through mutual friends. Uh, Naturally, I decided to stay in Florida after my volunteer year was up. Uh, I continued to question church teachings, and I did an independent study of the Gospels from which I came away with a more progressive reading of the Christian scriptures. I embraced a welcoming and affirming theology and was involved for a while with the Reformation Project, which is an organization focused on moving churches toward acceptance and affirmation of our LGBTQ sisters, brothers, and gender minority folks, Uh, but eventually had to leave the church after seeing, especially through knowing my wife, how religious myth Uh, particularly through the proliferation of Western Christian hegemony, is twisted to control, exploit, and marginalize. Uh, I learned that the compassion within me was stronger than the narratives that had guided and capitalized on it for so long. Uh, I had seen and heard and experienced enough to realize that I had been sacrificing other people's lives at the altar of my own narrow ideology. I dedicated myself at that point, not just to understanding the lived experience of other people as much as I can without having lived it myself, but valuing and working to protect the rights and dignity of those people.
1: So coming to that realization, how did it affect those close relationships in your life, especially with your family? And and how did you deal with that?
0: I've seen... I've seen friends and family members fall out of contact, uh, drop off my friends list, and block me on social media. Uh, People I've known and loved for years. It's difficult uh, to go through losing people like that, but I've gradually learned to have compassion for them too, because I get it. I know what it's like to be so dedicated to an ideology And its narrative, especially when it appeals to one's sense of compassion and caring for the world. Uh, I also know the fear of realizing that the deeply ingrained narratives that uphold such foundational beliefs and sincerely held values are perhaps not as certain or correct as I had once thought. And The fear that voicing these concerns or even changing my perspective may cause friends and family to ridicule, attack, or even disown me. Like I said earlier, religious programming is strong.
1: It is so strong. But now, gentle listeners, we find our co-host James eating veggie cheeseburgers ends in paradise.
0: (laughs) Yep, yep. So today... No longer churching. Uh, My wife and I are raising our child without religious baggage. Uh, I've been a godless vegetarian since 2014, meat-free and church-free. And Life After Shift is far richer, more vast, and mysterious than ever before.
1: Up next week, we'll do some follow-up with James. Please send us your thoughts and they might just make it into the show. You won't want to miss it.
0: Now that you've heard from us, we want to hear from you.
1: How have challenges and revelations in your own life driven you toward your own fundamental shifts? How did your life change afterwards? Here's how you can reach us, guys.
0: On Facebook and YouTube, simply search for The Fundamental Shift Podcast or check out our website, www.fundshiftpod.com.
1: You can also email us at funshiftpod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 704-665-7473.
0: On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at funshiftpod and at fun.shift.pod respectively.
1: We look forward to hearing from you and discussing your stories. Until then, remember folks, shift happens.